This is WCN. The Whole Care Network. You talk. We listen. Content presented on the following podcast is for information purposes only. Views and opinions expressed during this podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent views of the Whole Care Network. Always consult your physician for medical and fitness advice, and always consult your attorney for legal advice. And thank you for listening to the Whole Care Network. About the time that the pandemic of 2020 hit what I think we can group call the sourdough bread phase, like tens of thousands of other people, I wandered over to TikTok to find out what they had. And among the dance crazes and all of the jokes and all of the other stuff, a woman looked into the camera with kind and gentle eyes and said, care tasks are morally neutral. Her name is Casey Davis. She is a licensed counselor, an author, and she is TikTok famous for the idea that your value is not tied to your laundry. And I get the opportunity to interview her today on Anchor and Flame. I have the opportunity today to talk with Casey Davis, who opened up my eyes to the idea of morally neutral care tasks. Casey, thank you so much for being willing to be on the podcast. I appreciate you being here today. Thank you. I am thrilled to be here. Tell me a little bit about how it is that you got to TikToks and then got to this idea of struggle care. So it all is this happy accident. Like you, I sort of wandered over to TikTok as a pandemic sort of shut in at the time in quarantine. I had just had my second baby and I, at the urging of some friends, was told to go over to TikTok. And I gave it a try and, you know, I made some content here and there, mostly just kind of funny things. And then I had a video of me cleaning up my house that blew up and went viral. And I showed my house in all of its messy glory. And people started asking me questions about it. And I started answering those questions. And that started this snowball that eventually became a full-blown philosophy of care tasks, which is my word for housework. Okay. Because, the, you know, housework is sort of a chore in our mind. But truly, the only reason to do your laundry or your dishes or pick things up is to practice self-care. And so that sort of began this journey of what I now refer to as struggle care. Okay, so that's, so I can kind of see how you would move it away from calling it a chore to calling it just a care task. You also talk a lot about functionality and what needs to function for what. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So the first time that I answered someone who, you know, they were resonating with the content and saying things like, I've always felt so ashamed that my home didn't look put together. I always am so embarrassed that I couldn't be organized like anyone else. Or I've always, you know, I don't want anyone to see my home because it is messy and unorganized and I can't be on top of the dishes. And, and so my first sort of message out of the gate to people was this idea that 
You know, being messy is not a moral failing. Having your dishes pile up is morally neutral. How you care for your home does not make you a good or bad person, a success or a failure. It is morally neutral. And this sort of began to blow people's, blow people's minds. And so the question arose, well, if they're not moral, then what are they? And that was my response was, well, they're functional. Doing dishes is not a moral task. It's just a functional task. The task of doing dishes has a function. And that function is to have a clean dish to eat off of. And that sort of helps us see through all of the messaging that we may be received about being a good person that has a clean, tidy home all the time and really just see these care tasks for what they are, which is a task of self-care. And the function of doing your dishes is to have a clean dish. And so if you have a clean dish in your home to eat off of today, you're doing it right. <laughs> I, that, like I said, that was something that really resonated with me when I first started to watch you was that in the kind of secular way that you'll talk about that, that it's not a binary of a dish is clean, which is a victory and dirty, which is a failure, but that it is the entire cycle of it's clean and it's in use and it's in queue to get cleaned and it's stuck in the dishwasher because you don't feel like taking it out. Tell us a little bit about your laundry room. <laughs> so laundry was one of those things that was so difficult for me, especially after the birth of my second baby. She was born three weeks after our state shut down from the pandemic. And all of a sudden, all of my best laid plans for postpartum were just over. My plan, and I, I because I had had a kid before, I kind of knew what kind of support I would need. And so I, I put my toddler into a four-day-a-week preschool. I had scheduled back-to-back -back visitations from family who were going to fly in and help. And then all of a sudden the world shut down and there was no school and there were no flights and there were no trips. And it was just me um, and my husband and our two kids. And my husband is a lawyer who has a very demanding career that he's very good at. And so all of a sudden, and we couldn't even go anywhere. And so we're just sitting in our home. And the one task that just ate my lunch every day was my laundry. I could get it into the washer. I could get it into the dryer. I could get it out of the dryer onto the floor but I could not get those clothes folded. And I kid you not, for seven and a half months, my entire family of four lived out of a clean pile of laundry on my laundry room floor. Every day I would go up, <laughs> I would look through it, I would find what we needed. And luckily, you know, no one in my home has a moral view of laundry. And so that was just fine with us. We just knew, hey, we're in a spot where both of us have more to do than our time and hours and energy in the day. And so we just live out of this laundry room pile. I eventually was able to ask slash hire a, a young grad student to come in for a couple of months and fold it for me because that was the only way it was getting done. And then she ended up getting an internship moving on. And so I'm looking at this laundry going, okay, you know what? Not only is laundry not moral and it's just functional, but it occurred to me one day, why am I folding underwear? Why am I folding fleece baby pajamas? And, and the only answer was because somehow I believed that I should. And, and part of struggle care is really getting out of that box of the shoulds and just looking at what functions for your family. And I realized that really very little of my clothing needed to actually be folded or hung. The rest of it were baby onesies and PJs and lounge clothes and sweatshirts and things that, you know, I wasn't even leaving the house anyways. And so 
The first thing that I actually did, I was scrolling through TikTok and I came across this woman who basically brought all of her family's clothes into the basement so that when they came out of the dryer, she could put them straight up and not run all around her house. And I thought, this is genius. And I had heard of the concept of a family closet before. And I spent an entire day going into my master closet, which is quite big, and taking everything out and putting in shelves and basically creating a family closet because I am dressing three-fourths of our family every day. And I was like, why? Why am I going to three different rooms to dress three different people? Um, One of them can't even walk. And so I took my baby's clothes and my toddler's clothes and I put them into our closet which is right off of our laundry room. And so now the clothes were getting dumped from the dryer onto the floor, but right where they sat, I could sit down with the baby in a little bassinet next to me and the toddler running around like crazy playing with toys. And in less than 10 minutes, I could pull all these bins out and just throw clothes into everybody's bin by person. And and, I had a few different ones so that I could sort them out. And at the end, I had baby four shirts to hang up. And I had revolutionized the way that laundry was done. And and for the first time, I was actually having our laundry done. And I realized, you know, I really like this. I like the experience of knowing where things are as opposed to having to go through the pile. Because while the pile is morally neutral, it was actually more functional and enjoyable and comfortable for me to be able to have a bin system. And I think my experience with my closet really does a good job of summing up the transformation of struggle care, right? First, it's removing that shame of the laundry pile is laundry. It's not failure. It's just clothes. And focusing on function, what works for my family, and focusing on, okay, here's, you know, the function is clean clothes. Well, I was doing that. That's fine. The clean clothes were there. But then I really wanted it to be more comfortable. I wanted it to be more enjoyable. I wanted it to be faster. And when we start making decisions about how we do care tasks with an eye for how do I make this work for me? How do I make this care task care for me? We end up engaging in this revolutionary act of self-care. Instead of this performance-based, I'm a good person because my laundry is all put away nicely. It's I am enjoying my life more because this system is more functional for me. I love that. And I love the way that you find an enjoyment in something that that once you surgically remove the duty out of it, you're like, okay, the pile of laundry functions and it can function better because even that isn't the only way that things can exist. Perfectly hung up and folded or in a pile on the floor with a sad face on it. <laughs> right. So I really, I appreciate how much you kind of open up that middle ground so that people can say, well, if anything is possible, is this something that I want to take the time to try and change? So you talked a little bit, you, you just used the phrase, and I've heard you use it before, about a season of life. And then in this season, this mm-hmm. is what you need. Can you talk a little bit more about seasons? Yeah, I think that there are people, and I talk about this a little on my website, there are people that experience lifelong functional barriers. Maybe they have all, they will they have and will always have health problems. They are long-term caring for a relative. They are 
going to have a long-term barrier of a neurodivergence or a mental illness. But at the same time, even if somebody is perfectly healthy in their mind, body, emotions, relationships, we're all really just one small life change away from having substantial functional barriers. And sometimes these are happy changes, having a new baby, getting a new job, you know, getting married and moving to a new city. It could be happy things. It could be very hard things. The death of a spouse or a loved one, the sudden shift in having to homeschool your children during a pandemic, being in a pandemic in general. And I think that when we're free from that sort of moral duty to have a magazine cover home, we can forgive ourselves for not being as effective and efficient and productive during a season of life. And so understanding that it's not ideal to live, for me at least, it wasn't ideal to live out of a pile of laundry, not because there's anything wrong with it, but because it was harder to find the clothes I was looking for. But also realizing that, you know what? I have a newborn and a toddler who has nowhere to go in a pandemic. This will not be forever. And so it's okay if for now we live out of a pile of laundry and when I have more capacity and more support, I can use my creativity and my energy to find a functional solution for that process and letting myself off the hook for having to fix everything right now. And we talk a lot about that on my TikTok channel about how in order to prioritize something good, we often have to deprioritize something else that is good. And I think a lot of us are caught up in this perfectionism of I need to be doing all the good things. I need to be folding all of my clothes and having a clean home and eating right and exercising every day and going to therapy and being emotionally healthy and doing Pinterest crafts with my children and getting straight A's in my school and never having any debt. But the reality is, is that I always have to pick and choose what I'm going to prioritize in this season. So in the pandemic, I basically said, you know what? I'm prioritizing the emotional connection with my children. It's hard to remain emotionally connected to people 24-7. And I think a lot of us found ourselves in the same home with people that we love very much that we found it difficult to be around for that long. And so we had to let some things go. We had to use convenience foods. We had to live out of a pile of clean laundry but we got through the year happy and healthy. And now this year that my kids are able to go to a little part-time preschool and my parents have been able to visit us after quarantining and getting vaccinated, now I'm going, okay, all right, you know what? I'm feeling intuitively that now might be the time that I can reprioritize nutritious eating. And so I'm going to make some gentle moves towards what things in our diet can I replace with a more nutritious option? And so everything is very gentle. Everything is very honoring of the season that you're in and realizing that just because you've deprioritized something good for this season doesn't mean it's going to be deprioritized forever. When circumstances change, when your life moves into a new season, you can reevaluate what you have and then you can bring some things from the back burner to be prioritized and maybe let yourself off the hook a little bit with some other things. So I think that it's interesting because as you talk about that, I'm thinking about professional caregivers 
right now, particularly people who work in healthcare and especially people who work in hospitals, Mm -hmm. that as we are rounding the corner on being in this for a year now, that there is both this glimmer of light and this hopefulness that I think universally is starting to show up a little bit and how much they have to recover from. So for folks who have been in healthcare for this year and who have come home and and made homework however they needed to, do you have any kind of jumping off points for where to try and move out of either crisis mode or anxiety mode or PTSD mode or whatever it is? Like, how do they start to look towards the light and honor everything that they have done for this nation and this world this year? So I think the biggest thing that comes to my mind, and this is one of my other pillars of struggle care, is that rest is not a reward. It's a right. It's a need. And anytime we go through something traumatic like this pandemic and the things that caregivers have seen and the stress that they've been under, there is going to be a necessary time of things feeling as if they are slowed down. And it's the body and mind trying to process all of that stress out. And so as we move out of this pandemic phase, and one of my favorite authors, Emily Oster, she sent out a newsletter where she quoted T.S. Eliot, and she was using it to talk about what the end of the pandemic would look like. And of course, I'm going to misquote it, but to the effect of it's not going to go out with a bang, it's going to go out with a whimper. And that there's not going to be some black and white you know, now it's over, let's all burn our masks. It's going to be quiet, slow moves towards normalcy. But there will come a day, and and that day might already be here for some people, where you're going to look around and realize most people are back to quote-unquote normal, and you do not feel back to normal. And that is okay. That there is no need to jump right into, okay, now that I don't have to wear full PPE every day, or now that I don't have to do all these extra precautions, now it's time for me to jump back in at home and whip everything back into shape and make everything productive again. There's going to be a long buffer period where your mind and body and spirit just need rest. And as what, however long that looks is perfectly appropriate. So whether that is months or years of things may be looking from the outside like they are not productive in your life. When in reality, at a very cellular level, you're being very productive. That rest is productive in order to process out all of the stress you've been carrying. And so I think just being gentle with ourselves, having a lot of compassion, and realizing that when you have a lot of inner stress processing to do, that's going to take a lot of energy and you're not going to have a lot of energy left over to do what our society views as quote-unquote productive things. So don't expect yourself to jump right into redoing your whole laundry system, you know, the Thursday after you don't have to wear a mask at work anymore. (laughs) You mentioned the pillars of struggle care, which is kind of the framework that this whole idea is building out. Can you talk a little bit more about those? Certainly. I think these are the pillars that you can create a a working, functional, self-compassionate relationship with your home and with care tasks. And the first one is that care tasks are morally neutral. 
letting go of this idea that this is what good women or good spouses or valid adults do and just seeing things as functional. Okay. And then the second one is recognizing that you deserve kindness regardless of your level of functioning. You know, for every person that hears that care tasks are just functional that goes, oh, that makes me feel so good. There are people that go, okay, but what if I'm not functioning? Like, what if my home isn't functioning? And because of mental health or physical health or other barriers and going, well, then we can make gentle moves towards functioning, but you do not need to punish or berate yourself for not functioning. You deserve kindness regardless of the level of functioning that you're at right now. And so those two are pretty huge. And then I also talk about how shame is the enemy of functioning. That when we do berate and punish ourselves for these perceived failures in housekeeping or sometimes in other care tasks like hygiene, that actually slows down our functioning over time. It might give us some short-term compliance or short-term change because we think, oh, I can't stand it. I hate this. I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm turning over a new leaf today. But usually that kind of burst of motivation is pretty short-lived. And so long-term, our functioning is really debilitated by feeling shame over these things. And so that's pretty important. And then, well, I have to look at them. You'd think I'd know them by now, but... One of them is about saving the planet. Yes, that's a good one. (laughs) And the way that that one came about was that I did a TikTok about what you can do when you're overwhelmed by dishes, having a lot of dishes in the sink. And it was really specifically geared towards someone who was struggling with mental illness or being very overwhelmed. We start off with the message that you deserve a functioning kitchen. You deserve to eat off clean plates. And that's why we're doing this, not to get you to a place where you're acceptable, but because you do deserve a functioning kitchen. And so I talked through a bunch of tips and tricks, but one of the things that I said was, if you've got a container, a Tupperware container full of moldy food, and that has been the block for you, you've just been avoiding it, you've been ignoring it, and it's making you not want to deal with anything in your kitchen, just throw it away. Just throw it away. And I had a bunch of sort of, I think probably young, passionate environmentalists sort of come for me over, well, it's plastic. Well, you have to think about this. Well, you have to think about that. And the phrase that I used in the video was, I know this is controversial, but you're not going to save the rainforest if you're depressed. Like your consumer carbon footprint is so negligible compared to the real harms against our earth that are happening in our society. And if we're going to tackle those real harms, then we need you to be a whole healthy person and join us in that fight. We need policy change. We need advocacy. We need, yes, we do need individuals being conscious, but we don't, what we don't need is Suzanne who is sitting in a house full of trash hating herself because she's too ashamed to just throw her recycling away. That's not helping the rainforest. And so the idea is that for someone with those sort of functional barriers, the choices are not recycle or don't recycle. The choices are don't recycle, keep it in your home, continue to be paralyzed and make no progress in your functioning. Or 
Don't recycle, throw it away, make some breakthroughs in your ability to function, get to a happier, healthier place where you're going to have the capacity to not only care for yourself, but also care for our world. Like those are the real two choices that Suzanne has in her home today. Yep. Yep. And so we're going to take this sort of, you know, the harm reduction approach to helping her move forward. And that's, so that pillar of struggle care, because there are so many people who are struggling to function. And one of their main hangups is that environmental guilt. And so that's what that one is about. And then the other ones are number, oh, the last one, the last two, actually, the the one that I mentioned about rest, that rest is a right, not a reward. And so undoing this idea that many of us have that I'm allowed to rest after everything is done, that resting is an indulgence, it's a fun thing, it's optional, when in reality- The treat. Yeah, it's it's the the treat. treat That I, it's the dessert if I eat my, if I finish my plate, right? And that is not true. Care tasks never end. They are cyclical in nature. They are repetitive. They never end. And so I think what happened to a lot of us was we maybe grew up in a home where we were told, okay, you have to do your chores, then you can go out and play, which is, there's nothing wrong with that. But recognizing that when you're 10, your chore list is a finite list of things that can be finished. And then you go play. And then we grow up and all of a sudden we're 24 living on our own. And so we're going, okay, I got to finish my chore list first. But now we're an adult. There isn't some, you know, behind the scenes adults doing all the rest of the things. And we realize that this chore list never ends. And even if you're someone who as a single person is able to finish everything in your home and then go out and play, then all of a sudden you become a caregiver or you get a family or, and then all of a sudden it's, oh my gosh, this is never ending. And reconceptualizing that rest is a valid need, like eating and sleeping, recognizing that you will actually be more productive and efficient in care tasks if you allow yourself to rest. Embracing the imperfection of allowing yourself to sit down and relax, even if things aren't perfect. And and then lastly, this idea that good enough is perfect. Not everything needs to look like you are getting ready for a Better Homes and Garden magazine shoot. Martha Stewart doesn't need to be proud of how you clean your toilet. Nobody is laying on their deathbed saying, (laughs) gosh, I wish I would have scrubbed my baseboards more. And so a lot of people will say like, well, good enough is good enough. And I say, no, no, no. Good enough is perfect. Why would you want something like something as banal as scrubbing your floors to be better than good enough? Right. Now, if it makes you happy, go for it. But when I'm spending a ton of energy into a care task to make it better than just good enough, like, let's be honest, that's a hobby at that point. And it's performative for some folks. Like if I want to cook everything from scratch, I'm either doing it because I think that that makes me a better person or a superior person or because it's a hobby. If it makes you happy, yeah, cook everything from scratch. I don't need everything to be perfect. I just need it to be functional. So talking about rest and care tasks, I'm thinking about two separate things. So first, give me the quick rundown on your closing duties and why they're so important to you. So when I had my second daughter, you know, I mentioned that everything sort of seemed to pile up and it was very difficult for me. And all of the ways that I used to sort of do the care tasks around my home when I was 
single to when I was married didn't really change. And really when I was married to when I had my first daughter didn't really change. I was, I was kind of a messy person by nature and I do everything ad hoc, right? Like, oh, I noticed something needs to be done. Okay, I'll get to that the next few days. But when I had my second daughter, that's when it really eclipsed my ability to keep things functional by just shooting from the hip. And one of the things that was happening was that I would wake up in the morning, you know, and you're exhausted because you didn't get enough sleep overnight. And I would go and there would be no clean baby bottles. And I have this crying baby and a whining toddler. And I, and okay, now I got to hand wash these baby bottles real quick. And so the first thing I decided was, you know, I, and actually I was always pretty good at clocking out, which is when my kids went to bed at seven and my husband got done with work, we would sit down and hang out and rest. I never felt this compulsion to continue to clean my house or do a bunch of care tasks. I just, by seven, I was exhausted and wanted to sit down. And what I started doing was going, okay, you know what? Before I sit down for the night, I'm just going to go put those baby bottles into the dishwasher and run my dishwasher. Sometimes with nothing but baby bottles in them, just to make morning me, just to make her life a little bit easier. And so that's what began my closing duties list. I moved from doing that to doing my dishes. And I thought, you know what I'm going to do before I sit down? And I'm talking like the house looked like a bomb went off in it. And I would walk past all of that mess and I would unload and reload my dishwasher every night at 7 p.m. And this took such a burden off of me because then I could just chuck dishes in the sink all day and not feel guilty because I knew, okay, at seven, it's going to get done. And then also because I was doing it every night, it just wasn't that big of a burden because it was a lot less dishes than waiting four days to do them. And I made this TikTok where I was sort of explaining how this was helping me so much. And I made the joke that, you know, hey, I, I'm going to make some things easier for the openers tomorrow. I used to work in the food service industry. And I said, you know, I'm, I'm going to do my closing duties. I'm going to close up the kitchen. I want to set the opener up for success. I am also the opener. So, and, you know, just sort of making this joke that I'm always opening and always closing. And that's sort of where that language became because a lot of people have worked in food service or retail where they had closing duties in their workplace that didn't get the same sort of moral baggage that cleaning does at home. And so instead of going, look at all this mess, I could never do all of this. I'm exhausted. I'm just going to ignore it all. I was saying, you know what? I'm just going to do my closing duties at 7 p.m. And then I don't have to do anything else. And so for weeks, the only thing I did was unload and reload my dishwasher. And then I started going, well, I'm going to unload and reload my dishwasher and I'm going to fill up my formula water and I'm going to make some cold brew. And so months went by and, and what I ended up having was this list of about six things that I did every single night. I did the same list every night to the same playlist and it got me motivated. It allowed me to keep my space functional while not having to go overboard and trying to make everything perfect. And this was a game-changing routine for me. It was morally neutral. It was totally functional. It was short. I knew that in 25 minutes, I'd be done. And I knew that when I was done, I could sit down and rest for the rest of the night. Thank you for sharing that. I think that that has been such an interesting thing. And I remember in periods of time where I was a family caregiver, that that sense of the care task list getting bigger and bigger and bigger while my energy was dwindling would have been really refreshed by something like the idea of closing duties. And I think a lot of people that listen to me are caregivers, whether personally or professionally, that's a large part of their day. And 
the idea that because care tasks don't end, you kind of have to self-impose an end to your care tasking day, even though not everything's going to be done. And so I think that 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 works both personally and professionally, that there's this routine that signals to your brain, to your family that, okay, I'm calling it, I'm calling it. I'm going to fire down Casey, the care tasker, and I'm going to access this woman behind that role who deserves to, yes, she deserves to function and have a functioning space, but she also deserves to rest and to play and to work on hobbies. And I'm going to let her out. So I have one more question that I want to ask you. But before I do that, it does occur to me that not everybody on the planet is on TikTok yet, although we're getting there. What can people do if they if things like closing duties or, or a lot of these things are resonating with them and they want to learn more about how you approach the world? So I have a small subset of my videos on my website. Uh, my website's a great resource. There's lots of things written. There are some videos uploaded there that you can watch. And that is strugglecare.com. I also have a book on Amazon called How to Keep House While Drowning. And I have a notebook. Right now, the notebook is only for digital download. I'm working on getting a physical copy. And that is for sale on my website. I have a website shop. And the notebook is basically some journal prompts with some worksheets and some templates. Like if you want a closing duties template. But the book is a great place to start. The website is a great place to start. And that will really give anyone access to... And it's a short book. It's like 56 pages. It's written in very small snippets so that it's easy to get through. And that talks about all of the different pillars and some of these major sort of systems that I use. Okay. Thank you for sharing that. It's strugglecare, all spelled the way you would expect, dot com. Yes. Okay. So my last question for you today, and this one, granted, is a little bit silly. So when we think of things that create big emotion, things that are big disruptors, no matter what kind of season of life that we're in, most of the encouragement that we are given in in the course of a day is a lot of like, take a walk, have some tea. Very like, let's assume that we're already kind of emotionally neutral and we need to calm down just a little bit. What is your go-to stress reliever when it is a high energy emotion? When you are raging or just over the moon excited, like, what do you do to release big energy? And this could be pos- this could be happy or distressing energy, positive or negative. I so, will, and if you if you want, I will give you my example. Okay, yes, let me hear yours. Okay, so for me, when I have large negative emotions, it sh- it crunches up in my shoulders and my arms a lot. And so I live in a rural area, and I go throw eggs because they both crack. And swoosh. Yes. And I find that helps the big muscle movement and the sounds and the visuals and all of it just help move through the energy that I've got. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, three things come to mind. And one, and so they might, depending on what it is, for me, when it's an overwhelm feeling, I have found that using earplugs is super helpful. I actually work with an earplug company that sponsors me in the work that I do. It's called Loop Earplugs. And they make these sound-reducing earplugs that 
they're not, and they're not electronics. So I don't have to remember to charge them. But these are so helpful for me because I honestly, I can still hear everything that I need to hear, but it's like getting into a sensory deprivation tank. Because I'm all about the self-care that doesn't require more time because some of us don't have more time. So, you know, someone says, oh, go take a bubble bath, go take a walk. And it's like, okay, I'm literally, I'm feeding someone dinner. I can't stop and go do that. But if what's happening is that you're having so much sensory input, so much noise, so much feeling, touched out, you know, so, so much smells... I find that getting some high quality earplugs, and again, I love the loop ones, allows me to continue to do whatever I'm doing, but it's like it turns the intensity down. And it just gives me this little cocoon of peace to get through whatever I'm getting through so that I can get to a place where I have like some time or energy to engage in something I know really helps, right? So that I can go take the bubble bath or go throw eggs or whatever it is. I think that is really helpful. And then the other thing that I think is thinking about self-compassion. That to me has been the number one tool. And it's another one of those ones that doesn't require any extra time or money, but really investing in becoming aware of what my self-talk is because we have such a critical inner dialogue at times and recognizing that if I can challenge and change that inner dialogue to a self-compassionate one, And so one example might be, I walk into my home and it's messy and there's food on the floor and my kids are yelling and I have so much to do. And I get a call saying, hey, this bill wasn't paid. I mean, so just, you know. Yeah. There is whatever that call is that just screws it all up. Yes. And I can't in that moment do anything about any of those individual things or maybe I feel paralyzed. But there is also this voice going, God, Casey you've screwed it up again. You are not doing well. Look at how this is going to impact your kids. Why can't you just get it together? And for me, if I can just remove that variable and replace it with some dialogue that says, okay, and I can put my hand on my heart and take a deep breath, get some oxygen to my brain and say, people are allowed to make mistakes. And I am people. My kids are happy and healthy and not everything has to be perfect. And this is hard. This is a hard day. And I am here with you. And you are allowed to have hard days. And you are allowed to feel like you want to scream. And you're allowed to screw things up. And none of those things means that you are not worthy and lovable. And everything is okay. Sometimes the difference between wanting to run out of your house screaming and never come back and being able to sort of cope with that chaos and move forward is just comes down to changing whatever inner dialogue is happening with you in the moment. And I have found that to be the most powerful muscle to practice and flex when it comes to self-care, when it comes to coping with big emotions. And that It takes no extra time or or money. Thank you so much. I have loved getting the chance to spend this time with you. I am grateful for the energy you put into TikTok and the lives that you are changing there. And thank you for the book, which I have both read myself and given to other people. And I just am very honored that you spent time with me today. Thank you so much for being a guest on Anchor and Flame. 
Thank you so much for having me. This is WCN, the Whole Care Network. You talk, we listen.